Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad and The Worst, a podcast where we analyse movie trilogies and decide which film uses seven words when four will do. Joining me today... I'm Conan, a real riddle and sniffer, and I'm a goddamn American icon. And I'm Luke Morgan, and I don't have time to fool around with you two circus animals. Okay, well, of course, we're talking about the Oceans trilogy, Oceans 11, 12, and 13. Guys, how did you feel about watching the Oceans trilogy again? Luke? So, this is like a weird trilogy. I hadn't watched them until a few years ago. Uh, my wife recommended them, so I sat down. I only remember the Ocean 11. That's the only one I actually remembered. I have no memory of Oceans 13, but I, we swear we watched the whole trilogy, but I had no memory of that. I remembered some parts of 12, but Ocean's 11 is pretty much the only one that I remember start to finish. Um, and, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed them. Like I was saying before we started recording, like last week I cruised through these three, three movies in like three days, basically each night watching them and was looking forward to watching the next one again after them. So I enjoyed my rewatch. Uh, some of them are better than others, but, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Conan? I didn't care too much for them. I, I remember watching them sort of when they came out. I remember renting Ocean's 12 from the video store back in the good old days. I, same deal, I remember watching 13, but I couldn't remember a thing about it. I was kind of keen to revisit them because I haven't touched them since I saw them at release. Um, but this whole time coming back has... The first one, I, the first one's the one I remember the most, and the first one's the only one I find, honestly, pretty memorable. The other two I really blur into just sort of one but I didn't care too much for the trilogy at all. Aside from Brad Pitt, and aside from watching movie stars do movie star things, I have no reason to really watch these again. Yeah, I have to admit, the biggest reason to come to these movies is watching movie star do movie star things. Like, uh, yeah, these movies for me, I'm a big fan of heist movies, and I think these are some really good heist movies. But like you guys, Ocean's 12 and Ocean's 13, I've... I had a lot of trouble remembering what they were about before we watched them. And even afterwards, they still kind of blur together a little bit. But, I mean, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Bernie Mac, what more could you want in your day? Brad Pitt eating every two minutes. Loved it. Holy crap. Should we just dive into that right now? How many, how many times does Brad Pitt eat in these films? I wanted to count, but I realized too late into it and I couldn't restart them because I'd be too bored. I, I reckon... <laughs> It would be in the hundreds, I think. Every second scene, literally. I, I started counting like during the first one, and I lost count at about 396. So <laughs> my quote for this was actually just going to be eating noises, but I didn't want to subject our listeners to that. <laughs> that would have been very meta. It's an interesting choice. How do you guys feel about it? Do you like him eating in these scenes? or I, I Googled it. I was like, why does Brad Pitt eat in so many scenes and apparently it's a thing in other movies as well uh, but in this i feel like it's very noticeable in the oceans series and brad pitt actually spoke about this and he said the reason was that his character was always on the go so he never had a chance to just sit down for a meal so every time he's stopping somewhere he's just grabbing something to eat while he's moving or doing something or talking or planning which makes sense but i don't know if it's like a, I don't know, a subtle way to act where, you know, if you don't know what to do with your hands or do with your mouth, it's sort of just something to make you seem real and in that character while you're just doing something so normal, I guess. But I didn't mind it. I didn't. I kind of enjoyed it. Every time it popped up, I was like, hey, he's eating again. It became really overbearing <laughs> for me after a point of the way. Because you're right, it is a thing for Brad Pitt. Um, in Meet Joe Black, there's sort of the infamous peanut butter thing, and I don't know if that's I don't know if that started it or if that really cemented it, but it's become just his go-to. Fight Club obviously has some great some great carrot chewing audio. Moneyball's um, got a lot of eating in it as well. Moneyball, yeah, plays on that. You're right. Um, I just found I found it really hard to believe in about Ocean's Twelve when I'm like, look, this guy just eats nothing but crackers and burgers and pasta, and he is fit as a fiddle. I'm like, if that guy was really living that way, he would be. He would, he'd just be kind of this weird kind of pudgy dude. He wouldn't be Brad Pitt is my point. A man eating that diet at that frequency just wouldn't be a healthy dude. The thing uh, is, though, he's actually eating in these movies and he's maintaining that body shape. Like there's a scene where he's eating shrimp and apparently he ate over 100 shrimp for that scene. Holy crap. Yeah. Like, and this like, guy is eating food. But I'm yeah, sure he had and... a personal trainer in between shots to just like bluff some sit-ups and make sure Boy. he had a physique. 
I've, I've eaten like that and I've been able to pull it off too, so I'm sure Brad Pitt can. Eat that six back, chiseled. <laughs> I personally enjoy it. I'm a fan of him eating. I, he could do it in every movie for me. Because I, I do feel like it's not very common. Like, you don't see many other actors doing that. And I'm surprised that no one else has tried to imitate it. But so as a as a caveat, I like it. I think it's a cool... I love it in, in other films when I see it. I'm always... Whenever Brad Pitt comes in, I'm always expecting to see him eat. And there is that real... You're right about it's a sort of a disarming character trait of this guy who's almost too magical to be real because he's so handsome, he's so charismatic. He's just he's a movie star. To see him eat is kind of like it's you know eating's one of our primal things. It's when we're vulnerable, and so I think it sort of disarms them in our mind of like oh he's a person too. I can relate a bit more. We see him eating, and we're like, hey, I do that. (laughs) (laughs) They're like they're just like us. I'm Brad Pitt. Yeah, (laughs) but I just it's. It's every scene towards the end of the trilogy. Yep. Every scene he's in, I'm like, I get it. It's fun, but you can dial it down a bit. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. So, do you guys feel this deserves to be a trilogy? After your rewatch, what did you think? So, I'll I'll go. Um, no, it doesn't deserve to be a trilogy. I don't feel like. Obviously, it doesn't have like an overarching storyline or anything like that, and that's fine. You can still have that sort of Indiana Jones like what we said like treasure of the week monster of the week sort of thing and have a trilogy that makes sense but I feel like especially with the way this trilogy played out I feel like it would have been better as one standalone film or even two and just have them as their own sort of standalone heist movies it doesn't doesn't need this whole universe and I feel like especially with Ocean's 13 it doesn't feel like it's part of the trilogy it feels I don't know, like an add-on at the end. It doesn't feel like it follows along with some of the storylines they were doing. Some characters are, are missing that played a big part in the previous two. So it's just like feels disjointed and not necessary. So, Grano, what are your thoughts? What do you think it deserves to be as a fan uh, of Christ? The thing, the thing is, I really love the fact that we have these three movies with this cast. Like this, this cast is massive i don't know that there's many other movies with a cast that's this big and they got them there to do three movies like i think that's pretty special i think i agree like i think two of these movies deserve to be there like i think it's a good good movie and a sequel the third one yeah definitely feels a bit disjointed i don't know whether it really deserved to be there i would happily watch a tv series about bank heist but it doesn't have to be oceans like it could be something else right like i'd be happy if this was just one or two movies i think I haven't seen it, but isn't there a show called Money Heist, which I assume yes, is, there is. heisting? It's quite good too. There you go. Yeah, I don't think it deserves to be either. I think, yeah, you can stretch it to two, but I think it works. Heist movies are heist movies are hot. They're they're the event, right? They're the they're the titular event. They are that thing. You can stretch it to a sequel and have the blowback and do it sort of properly. But I think it, and in this case where you've got just so much star power in there, that's that's all right to do. But I. I feel like the magic works so much better if it's one heist, one big job, and you've got the questions of who were these guys beforehand, which he's never clearly answered, and then you've got what happens after that, who knows, but you don't want to see that answered. It's better to think they're all having, they're all living on islands separately drinking Mai Tais instead of having, mm. a, instead of being like, you remember that heist we did? Here's another similar heist that's just not as fun or it's as derivative. Or... Exactly, because it is like, well, the point of the heist movie is so we can be sitting on a beach, you know, and just like relaxing after this and we got all this money. And so then, yeah, there is room for a sequel where, okay, now we have to face the consequences because they know it was us. But then to just do it three times, it's like, well, let's do it again. And in the third one, for what I think is a pretty poor reason, and I don't feel like the stakes are very high in the third one, but we'll get into that when we talk about them individually later. But yeah, it could have been, a, it could have been, like deserving of a trilogy, but they didn't pull it off, so it doesn't. Yeah, I think you're right about them facing the consequences of their actions. That's that's interesting, but other than that, it gets a bit bit weak. And I think the best, I think even the best scenes in the first movie are not scenes you get to do again. Like to me, getting the gang together is one of the best parts of the first movie. And we, I mean, you can't really. I think the second one actually doesn't do a terrible job about it, but you don't get to do that again the same way. Yeah, that's that's definitely the best part. Like. Meeting people, recruiting them, sort of, that's always the fun thing. It's like introducing characters, seeing why you want to have them on the team. That's great. And the second one does it terribly. The second one is literally cool. the same scene, recycled. No. Well, I like it how he showed up no. and everywhere and everyone was doing what they were doing. And 
It was yeah. fun the first time, and then you watch it eleven more times, and it's like, yeah, we we get it. Andy Garcia is going to be threatening. Cool. Okay. They oh, we're doing do... it again. Yeah, right on, right on. That's something about these films. I feel like they do a shot, and then they do it eleven more times for each character in it. <laughs> Holy crap! Like so many zoom ins of people walking out in handcuffs, and I was like, they're doing it for every single character, and I was like. I mean, that's a stylistic choice, but it does it wears thin, thin when there's eleven characters to go through. For sure. Was the wedding was the wedding speech scene not worth it though? In the second one, interrupting um, the Malloy brothers' wedding, fake wedding, whatever it was. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say, Rick, I, was gonna say I couldn't even remember that. That was the that was the best of those moments. Fair but, enough. But um, yeah, yeah. All right, let's before we dig into digging into these movies too deeply, let's come to everybody's favorite new category. Dennis Franz, which member of the eleven is he? <laughs> I was supposed to think of this and I forgot to, but I did have a good idea. Again, he could either be George Clooney. I think he has the the suave to do it, mm. or the more accurate one is he. He's Ruben, right? They go. He's who they go to to. He's the he's money man. The, he's the washed up money man. He's sort of he's living large, but he's a. You know, he he can imagine him in the game in the '60s or something, back when everyone had those dirty mows and wore too much flair. So, that, yeah, I I had a few sleepless nights over this. I was thinking about this uh, over the yeah. week um, of who he should play, and like what we were saying earlier, I really just think it should be Rusty because it's more realistic. <laughs> I could see him eating, and, he is, and he is. <laughs> you know, pulling off. I'd want to watch him suck on his fingers and tell me how we're going to pull off this heist. So he's charismatic. Hmm. And, I mean, it would be more direct. He is rusty looking. So, <laughs> <laughs> same outfits. I want him to wear the same outfits that Brad Pitt had. But <laughs> yeah, I think he'd pull him off. All right. Well, um, guys, if we look at you know how this movie was received well, critically. Well, sorry, 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 Grana. Go for it. Who who do you think he could replace? The only other person I had that you guys didn't suggest was Saul. So him being the con man, the con artist. Putting on different disguises, putting on accents. I think that could be fun to see Dennis Fran, Franz rolling rolling around into the casino with, with his high roller gear on. And just sweating profusely. Yep. Actually, actually, I want to change my answer. I want him to play Matt Damon's character simply so he can say about like his mum and dad. Like, please don't tell my mum and dad. <laughs> I really want to see him saying that. I think that'd be funny. Oh, that'd be, yeah, yeah that's a good one. That's the winner. Okay. Okay, we can go with that. We can go with that. So if we look at how these films were received critically, obviously Ocean's Eleven, the most popular, 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ocean's Twelve dropped right back to 55%, definitely not received as well. And then Ocean's Thirteen popped it back up to 70%. Do we agree? Luke, which film do you think is the worst? I was surprised to see that. Um, I definitely agree that the first is of highest quality and then it drops off a bit. But I don't think it then jumps back up with Ocean's Thirteen. I think it plummets even further with Ocean's Thirteen. So, I um spoilers. That's my vote. But yeah, I I disagree with that view. I don't know really what people loved so much about Ocean's Thirteen. Obviously, it wasn't highly rated, but it was rated pretty well. Ah, uh, but yeah, I just I disagree completely with that. That take is like a twenty-two in blackjack. That is bust. Ocean's Twelve is undoubtedly the worst. I know you you are wrong, Conan. You are hundred percent wrong. Ocean's Twelve is hot garbage. It is a casino pizza left on the floor for six hours being trodden on. Oh, so are we jumping into the wooden spoon category then? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, so Conan, okay, you you say it first because obviously you have a different different opinion. It bad. Ocean's Twelve. Ocean's 12 is everything that is what goes wrong with a sequel. Ocean's 12 is where 11 was successful precisely because it plays on these characters. You've got all these movie stars in a room together. You've got all these movie stars just vibing off each other. Sort of, We can get into the writing, but trying to sound more clever than they necessarily are. But you've got that good sort of dynamic, at least. It's fun to watch them. Ocean's 12 then goes, okay, let's double down on that. Let's get rid of the heist. Let's actually not have, let's not even have a heist. Let's barely show any sort of heist related things. Let's instead just have these characters just talking and doing nothing. And the Ocean's 12, nothing happened. It is, I'm still, again, I watched it a week ago and I'm struggling to remember what happens. All I can remember is terrible moments of uh, Julia Roberts playing Julia Roberts. <laughs> Worst stumble in a film I've seen in a long time. Fun moments, you mean? Oh, it's fun. And, 
an awful weird Willis. cameo by Brad, by Bruce Willis where he plays a, the most unlikable version of himself in a whole conversation that has no point. It's drawn out. It's irrelevant. It's literally there to try to be like, hey, look how clever we are. And it's not clever. It's not funny. And then you have more terrible scenes like Vincent Cassell dancing for about 20 minutes over laser beams comparable to the Matrix orgy from Reloaded in, in terms <laughs> I don't know of terrible. It's not that bad. It is bad. As it's drawn out, bad. as pointless, as unclever. And then when you finally get to the heist, which again, I'm not even sure if there is a heist in Ocean's 12. It's not exciting. We don't see how it unfolds. It just happens in the background. Instead, thankfully, we spent the whole film watching people talk and go, we're going to rob this place? Well, I guess we could rob this place. Just hold up. I've got a plate of pasta to eat. <laughs> See, I'm sorry, Karen. I think you missed the point of Ocean's Twelve. Ocean's Twelve is not a heist movie; it's a grift movie. They're grifting everybody. They grift the audience. They make you think it's a heist movie, and they pull the rug out from underneath you. It's not a heist movie. They're conning everybody around them. They're conning Vincent Cassell. They're conning everybody. That's they grift the, point the of audience movie. by yes, promising they do. by promising a return on your investment. You pay money to see this. And you say, you know, there's a promise there. There's a contract of, hey, you pay us money, we'll give you something to entertain. And instead, they, they, they've lied. It's the, it is the perfect gift, I agree. Because they stole two hours that I'll never get back. Well played, Soderbergh. No, I just, I just disagree. Like, yes, it's not the movie we went in there expecting, but I think it's still a good movie. I and think I it think, still has redeeming qualities. I think that's why, when we're discussing if it deserves to be a trilogy, it's a good sequel film because it deals with the consequences of the first one. It actually has stakes. Like you know, they're like, we need this money in this time frame, and it keeps coming back to it. Like two days left to this deadline, we need to get this. Ocean's Thirteen has no stakes. I don't feel like it's just like, well, this guy was mean to my friend. He's not actually in a coma for the whole movie. He's back halfway through, so he's fine. It's just trying to get revenge on Al Pacino, and it's just like, I don't know. And it feels Ocean's Thirteen feels so convenient. Like, it doesn't feel like they're doing... It's like, well, this is our plan, and we're doing it, and we're going to make an earthquake and do all this crazy stuff that's, like, absurd. And it just, I don't know, it has that heist aspect to it, but it it felt so Austin Powers with the whole disguise and the perfume that makes her fall in love with him. It felt so cheesy. It didn't feel witty or any sort of gritness to it. And it was missing... A bunch of the characters, like Julia Roberts and um, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones does not count. She comes in in the second one. She's not a character. She's not a yeah, real character. So that no, it doesn't matter, though. She's a it's character in the matter. second part and plays a big part in that second role. And I feel like they really miss the boat by not having them, I don't know, having her sort of in Ocean's 13 with a bit of experience like behind her on that side of the law. They had that whole thing where she liked that in Ocean's 12 where you could tell she sort of liked breaking the law and now she's been with Rusty. It would have been interesting to have that dynamic of her in Ocean's 13 getting into that lifestyle and everything, but then they just they just weren't involved at all because it's not their fight. That is, the most, that is the most shooting... Really, her character, as much as it's great to see a young Catherine Zeta-Jones bring in the heat, that is such a clunky thing. She is literally like, I'm the most... She's she, her whole character is like she works for a freaking international theft agent. She she is the law, and then right at the very end, she's like, "Nah, thieving's fun, actually. Let's just do that." It's I know. There's nothing earned. It's I know. Sad. And when I finished Ocean's Twelve, it's the first thing I said. I was like, "Man, she just swapped just like that with like no consequence. Like, it's, okay, I'll do this now. Whatever. It's we'll awful. all get away with it's, it." Awful writing. It's terrible. Yeah. None of the characters have any growth or depth. It's literally just an excuse to have more actors doing superficial things. And they, they already do the... You're right. Ocean 13. Ocean's Ocean 13 has problems. I'm not saying Ocean 13 is a good film. I don't think it is either. But it's the same... They have the exact same problems in 12 where they, they try to do something different, which is a waste of time. They underuse characters in Ocean's 12, which they continue to do in 13. But at least in 13, they return to their roots and go, no, we're, we're a heist movie. Ocean's 11 is a heist movie. We're not, the, we're not a broad spectrum of all things criminal. So it doesn't matter if they're doing a grift because that's not what Ocean's Eleven does. No, so they return even, to their roots. It's a lot more fun. Even the Night Fox, though, in number two, that's Awful. an interesting concept, though. No, that he's this, like, master thief, and it's sort of like, oh, he's battling against us. And in number three, 
he like there's three scenes with him just peeking over the corners, and then he shows up right at the end to be like, ha ha, got you. No, no, I don't. He shouldn't shouldn't have been there at all. It was pointless. It was pointless. I agree, but that you know, that's he's a character from Scooby Doo. Feels like I'm watching a Scooby Doo (laughs) episode when they're like, the Night Fox, the best thief. Am I six years old? And I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you rascally kids. Hundred percent. He is the (laughs) most. He is such a terrible character. Number two wastes so much time and underuses Vincent Cassell. It's I en- I enjoyed the whole Julia Roberts Bruce Willis thing. I do think it played on too long. The whole conversation with Bruce Willis. I was just like, give up, man. But I don't know. I thought it was funny that he's I think, just... like I think it's stupid, but I do think it's a bit of fun. I I don't know. I really went back and forth on which one's the worst because I do think Twelve has some really redeeming points to it. Like I really enjoyed like um, Matt Damon trying to get in on the get in a, in a bigger part in this movie. Like, especially that conversation he has with Rusty on the plane at the start. I think that's a really fun conversation. Like, I think I could be a bigger part of this movie. And like, then I just... them totally bamboozling him in the cafe yeah. with Hagrid. Okay, I don't even understand what happened in there. What did I say? You called his niece a whore. Very cheap one. What? She's seven. Yep. Again, but a, but a, a horrible part where they under, they use him for one scene. Robbie Coltrane gets ripped off in this. And that whole scene is so dumb. They're just like, oh, we have this... <laughs> we have a stupid code that makes no sense and we're not going to do anyone, so we get a... It's, it's silly. <laughs> it is dumb. It, You're right. Yeah, it's dumb, but it was funny to watch because of the actors involved. Watching Matt Damon sit there reacting to what's going on, I thought it was funny. And that well, was the... To... Look, one second. Shush. Like, both of these films... <laughs> But I'm not going to give wrong opinions. I'm not going to passionately defend Ocean's Twelve. Ocean's Twelve and Thirteen are. are bad films. Like they, it very drops off after Ocean's Eleven. But Twelve was entertaining in a fun way. Like I had more fun watching Ocean's Twelve. A week later, yeah, I don't remember much from it, but I know I had more fun watching it, and the, I was more interested in the them facing the consequences and trying to get themselves out of that situation than just. The whole situation in Ocean's Thirteen, I had no investment in that storyline, so it just and it just wasn't as fun. It just wasn't fun. It was silly. You're writing, but you're wrong, and this is why the internet all agrees you're wrong. You're riding high off the Ocean's Eleven train, where you've seen Ocean's Eleven. I want more of this, and you just you're convincing yourself that's accurate. Thirteen, all that's settled down. You've got nothing but the facts left. But just because you're riding high off Ocean's Eleven doesn't mean that Ocean's Twelve is good. Where where was Topher Grace? In Ocean's oh, 13. what <laughs> he was in there. He's got a scene, and that whole arc is a waste. No, he's not. He doesn't have a great. He doesn't have a scene in Ocean's Thirteen. It's twelve it, when he's smashing the hotel. He, it's oh, the start of twelve. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't show up in thirteen. Another oh, character they just put aside. Who wants to see this bizarre thing? And that's let, right, let's get into that then. What <laughs> you didn't like that? You didn't like that? It's the strangest thing that Brad Pitt is acting as a person who trains real-life Topher Grace and other washed-up 90s actors. That's the so, joke, though. So who's, who's Brad Pitt in this universe? Rusty. Rusty. So, so you're doing me in the same... So all these films came out with these actors and Brad Pitt doesn't exist? Or Brad Pitt has a doppelganger? This is an alternate universe. Obviously, you haven't watched many of the MCU movies. This is an alternate universe true. where Brad Pitt's not an actor. He has, you know, he... Why, does, why can't why can't Topher Grace be an actor and Brad and Brad Pitt be rusty though? Why can't that be the case? Because Julia Roberts looks just like Julia Roberts. Yeah, I get <laughs> it. So we have That's established right. law that all the actors we know of do exist. If they had a if they had a point where there was literally like they showed a scene of Fight Club and they're like, man, Edward Norton had great chemistry with Bruce Willis. I'd be like, oh, I see. They've gone through and they've replaced this. This is how this universe works. But they never do. We are only yeah. showing that actors correspond as normal. We have real-life Topher Grace and other wash-ups. But then for some reason, all these other movie stars, the biggest movie stars in the world at that time, also either don't exist, which just begs so many questions, or they also have, a, they also have a, an incredibly coincidental amount of doppelgangers, and all these handsome movie stars are robbing banks. I think you're reading into it too much. It's a fun joke in a fun movie that the, the, the director knows is full of stars. Like, this movie is full of the biggest stars in Hollywood at the time. The joke is that he, Rusty, the biggest star in Hollywood, is training these, like, soap opera actors. These yeah. people at the end that didn't have the biggest careers. So That's... a joke, by, by definition, is a thing that someone Ugh. says for amusement or laughter, especially a story with a funny punchline. There's no laughter or amusement, and there's no punchline. I enjoyed it. it. It's I enjoyed it. 
My wife enjoyed it too. She thought Absurdity it was funny. Absurdity is also a form of humor. Yeah, people like fart jokes, so I guess I can give you that. Farts are funny. I disagree with that. We could have a debate on that another time. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to agree on this because I, yeah, I don't think Ocean's Thirteen is good either. But it does have some good scenes, like the Malloy brothers arc. I didn't mind that in Thirteen. Hilarious. That that is literally the only part in any three film that I laughed out loud at. When they get involved in the revolution, I actually laughed. Hey, are you gonna get the factory open? Oh, hell yes, we just gotta break management. They can't keep treating us like this. But I gotta go. <laughs> it took them three films, but they got there. They got a laugh out. I enjoy them. the Malloy brothers in every film. I think they're hilarious in all of them. I oh, like they're good, but they're really together. Throughout the three but it's them. properly utilized in the third because it is this kind of they're, they're idiots who just won't stop fighting and so now they've found something to fight for and they get united and it's this weird thing it's the it's the only time they really use properly uh, i enjoy I them utilized in the, in the third one. one in the third one they're separated for half of the movie so i disagree on that i think in the that's first fine. one you, you can be wrong right. that's fine all right well all right what about al pacino i think he was an incredibly weak bad guy in the third film i think he was just bad yeah, I, I agree. I'm, he was number three's, number three's not good. Number three has the one thing when number three is, is fun to put on in the background and literally you check in every 10 minutes and you're like, oh, this stupid thing's happening. That's where it's fun because events happen in that film. Ocean's 12 has none of that. And I agree, Al Pacino's terrible. He's got, he's got no character. He's doing nothing. He's literally just like, I am an evil villain, full stop. That's the thing. Ocean's 13 has no stakes. As far as I'm concerned, there's no... <laughs> 12 has no real stakes either. You know just, nothing's going to go they're wrong. They're all going to get murdered if they don't. They're all going to get murdered. And when they fail, like quotation marks, the heist, watching that for the first time, you're like, oh, crap. Now they're all, they've all been arrested. No one there's in the no world. Part, like, there's oh, no wow, part in Ocean's 13 where you're like, oh, no, how are they going to... There's no conflict in Ocean's 13. It's just like we're going to create an earthquake. Earthquake. We're going to do the scene where the earthquake doesn't stop exactly when they think it will. No, but then they've got this other the phone, like the Nokia, whatever that's does it. Like, yeah, I don't know. Ocean Thirteen. I just feel like the whole point of it is like, you know, oh, it's to make Saul feel better, and then Saul's all happy by the time they even pull off the. The heist not, at the it's end. It's not Sol, it's Ruben, but yeah, you're right. Oh, Ruben, sorry. <laughs> I don't sorry. even know the characters. <laughs> sorry, Ruben. Ruben. Can, 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 we all, can we all agree that Bernie Mac is dramatically un, underused in all of these movies, but particularly the second and third? 100%. Yeah. He has nothing to work with. It it, it's, it bums me out a little bit. Well, really? Yeah. yeah since he's, we're he's never like, going to get any more of him again either. But like, Yeah. I yeah. think that that's the case with all of these films, though, as well. And it happened with in the original one with um happened in the original Ocean's Eleven with Frank Sinatra. Is it's this vehicle for a ha- for a handful of main ones? Now Eleven does it a lot better because they do give everybody something to do with. But especially in Twelve and Thirteen, you see it really is. There's a lot more characters that they focus on, and there's others that just turn up from time to time. And so it's like it's fun to have eleven eleven movie stars in a film. But it would have been so much better if it was Ocean Six or something, and you had just a smaller amount, and they all got a good amount of time doing stuff. Because in 12 and 13, you have several characters who just have nothing to do, and it feels like they are cramming people in every scene, like, oh, crap, we haven't checked in with him for the last 20 minutes. Um, Here's a bad line so of dialogue. And because th- you get all this, you get Bernie Mac getting nothing. You get just characters who don't do anything in the film. You get, um, in 13, <laughs> who's, the, who's the acrobat? The Amazing Yen. Amazing Yen. He doesn't, again, does nothing in that film. Because they're like, we have so many characters, we don't know what to do anymore. In in Ocean's Thirteen, was the last scene we see him in jumping on the bed? Because I can't remember anything after that, really, of him. So he he plays the he plays like the the Chinese billionaire. Oh, uh, yeah. The Matt Damon is the handler for. Yeah, I just but feel that like whole that whole arc is Matt Damon's arc, pretty much. That nose, that prosthetic <laughs> nose of Matt Damon. Yeah. Nose plays. That was funny where he tried to take a drink and couldn't because of his nose. I thought that was funny. But I don't know, the whole scene with the perfume and the cougar lady was too, not not fun. It was just, it seemed really cheesy and not, it didn't fit in place with everything else, I didn't think. How do they, how do they also get these giant drills? Like, how do they do that drilling without anybody noticing? Like, these drills, drills drilled the channels, like they're big 
huge pieces of machinery. They walked up to the cops with some witches' hats and were just like, yeah, no, okay. no, we're just going down here, boys. And they're <laughs> like, okay, they had to do. that's it. That's how they caused an earthquake. Yeah. It's silly. You, if you wear a if you wear a fluoro jacket and have a clipboard, you can get anywhere. Christopher Nolan's masterpiece, Tenet, taught me that. <laughs> All right, how are we going to solve this, guys? Which film are we going to declare the worst? Well, look, I'm not I'm not budging. Okay. No, honestly, honestly, though, so. How did we feel? We've discussed the other characters. So, how did you guys feel about Julia Roberts? Julia Roberts playing Julia Roberts, or just in general, yeah. her character? Which one? There's two, apparently. I think one. her character's fine in the first movie. I think she's, I think she's fine in the second movie. But I, the Julia Roberts being Julia Roberts, I don't know. It was fine it's for fun. a bit. It's fun, though. It's and I think it's, fun. but it's it so tries to be. It's so transparent to just be like, this isn't their fight. That's why these two major characters are just missing for this whole film. And it's because they didn't write them in enough scenes and the two actresses didn't want to be part of it unless they were going to be part of, like, a decent part of the plot. And they were like, oh, well, we can't write you in anywhere that would suit. So they just scrapped them. It's just lazy to me. They've they've had these two movies with Julie Roberts' character and then to just be like, well, she's not in the third one. A throwaway line here, that's why she's not here. That already takes away the dynamic of these characters i feel like in the whole arc of it i think they're the least interesting characters though yeah i understand that like julie roberts isn't used to any potential here or anything she plays sort of like a julie roberts but that's the thing that's it's funny in number two and i didn't mind um catherine zeta jones's character in oceans 12 Honestly, I didn't mind it. I liked her whole dynamic with Rusty and everything like I that. Enjoyed Brad, I enjoyed Brad Pitt's interactions with her, but I didn't yeah. enjoy her. Oh, yeah. so that I was more... it would have been interesting in Ocean's 13 for them to be doing stuff together like that. But, yeah, I don't know. There's just so much in Ocean's 13 that's, like, not plausible. It seems like it's a caricature of itself. Like, honestly, two, you're describing number two. No, I'm not. I'm just, literally describing I'm number about twelve. Drills that make an earthquake in this ginormous. Move on from the drill for a minute. In this ginormous CGI in Ocean's tower, 12, and they get a they lift a house up. That's yeah. just as dumb. That makes sense. They, they do it on no, the. No, uh, not, not only is it really dumb, they don't actually really show what's going on. Like they just very much brush over that whole heist. They do, which is and that's the, this is the problem with Ocean's Twelve. You never see anything in Ocean's Eleven. You are straight into it. Yeah. You are seeing the heist from from beginning to end. In Thirteen, you are seeing them again do a heist. You are seeing all this interact. You're seeing the machinations. In Twelve, you hear characters talking about a heist. You hear characters referring to events that may happen and that have happened. It is literally, it's it's like writing one on one. You take a screenplay and you go, okay, we show don't tell. No, no, let's tell don't show. And all you've got is characters talking about events that will happen and we don't see the events. It's awful. It's a grift. Because it's a grift. It's you can't grift the audience. It can. You can. The, like, the problem with thing. grifting the audience is that people are unhappy about it. It's not as clever as they think it is. I think The whole I... film feels like it's more clever than it actually is. It's like, look how smug and smart I am. It's like, look at my witty one-liners. There's no substance. There's no subtext. It's, look. it's window dressing. I had this, like, I watched Ocean's 12, had the same problem afterwards where I was like, I feel like it was, wasn't was very clever and they were basically like, oh, no, actually all of this stuff happened that no one saw or was hinted at, so look, we solved it. And it and with Catherine Zeta-Jones, the character, being like, well, I'm this big member of the law, but okay, you know what, stuff it. I'll just change my careers now because... All right, Luke, you've it. convinced me 12 is the worst. Oh, no. So what I was doing. <laughs> but Ocean's really... 13, I'll just say Ocean's 13 I feel like doesn't have any stakes I feel like doesn't have any drama or conf- real conflict in Ocean's 12 I was invested in how they were going to get themselves out of that hole and they were dealing with the consequences of that which I felt like actually had some stakes to it I need to really confront this stakes issue because you keep bringing that up Ocean's 12 doesn't have stakes for two reasons firstly you hear of the threat. You never see the threat. What they need to do, if you show Andy Garcia killing one of them, then there's stakes. Then we know there's stakes. All you hear is, I will be threatening, but we never see. So there aren't any stakes. We know Rusty, the audience. Rusty should have lost a pinky. That's what should have happened. Something like that would have been great. Exactly. Or they, they should have done something to actually show it. They don't show stakes. They tell of stakes. So there aren't any stakes. So we're never invested. So there are no stakes. You can't use that argument. Secondly, there are stakes in, in 13 because, again, they're like, 
our friend is dead. And it tries to delve into a lot more of the whole, the code of thieves and this thing about we are a family, we did this. Whereas again, in 12, you never feel that. It's like, oh, we're going to die. Yeah, we'll just talk about it some more. There's no stakes in 12. It tries to, it talks about the idea of bringing in stakes without ever showing the stakes. Okay, look, I agree with you about 12. Like, All right, conversation done. I agree with you about I agree with you about twelve. You sort of convinced me there, but the same thing you can't say that and then be like in thirteen their friend dies. No, he doesn't. He gets sad and lays in a bed for twenty minutes and then he's up and out of the bed. If he died at the start, which I thought they were going to do, if they'd pushed him off that building or something, <laughs> I would more under if they'd bloody put the cement over his body and built the whole tower on top of him. Yeah, okay, there's some stakes, and that's why they want revenge and they want to take everything from this person. But to just be like, they took, they they screwed Reuben over, so he's sad. We'll read him some poems, and then he'll come back and join us for the final heist. Oh, the poems! <laughs> the poems are dumb. I I think it does it dumb. does highlight an interesting point about how shallow these people really are, though. Like it is all just about the money. Like as much as they go on about family and the code of honor and all this stuff. He lost his money and he was really sad at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. It's no Fast and Furious. This isn't about family. <laughs> There's a trilogy you can set your watch to. Ten. There's ten of them. I went back and forth on these two movies a lot because I do think, number two, I do think there is a meta movie there. Like, I think there is something interesting about how they reverse the roles of George, of Clooney and, and Pitt. Like, in the first one, Clooney's not got his life together. He's kind of a mess, and Rusty's there to pick him up. And in the second one, Rusty's life is kind of falling apart. He's invested in these hotels that are kind of not going anywhere. And and Clooney is the one with his life together. He's building a family in the middle of nowhere or whatever they're doing and carrying on. Yeah. Um, the way that they try to introduce Matt Damon as a bigger character, I think that's kind of fun because it's it's meta about what the movie is going to be about, how Matt Damon is going to be a bigger character in this movie. I think there's yeah there's totally there's there's cornerstones there there is an idea there for sure and I remember when I started watching I was like maybe this will actually be more fun because it will be aware of that but I I just don't think it ever achieves that the script is so unclever it tries to feel intelligent and it tries to feel witty and it never works it has some ideas and it's you can tell in the first draft they're like that'd be cool but it never goes anywhere uh, I've, last, I've said all I need about I'm done. I'm, I can't keep going on. The last thing I'll say about Ocean's 12 before we cast our final vote is I'll just say I thought it was more fun. And that's what these movies are. They're fun. It was something different from the first and therefore made it something different, not just trying to recreate it. And it was sort of a act two of dealing with the consequences of the first part. And it was just, it was more fun. It was more fun. I enjoyed watching it more. See, I... Fun is the point where I 100% disagree. I actually think 13 is more fun than 12 because it goes back to being a heist. It goes back to what we want from Ocean's, the Ocean's movies. Number, I, 12, I think, like there is a point to make about it being a grift. Soderbergh himself has said it's some of his best filmmaking. Like he honestly believes 12 is, is, is one of his top movies. Um, oh, he's an idiot then. But, I mean, I don't, yeah, 13 I think was more fun and I think I'm going to give 12 my vote as the worst. I feel like he is selling himself short if he's saying that some of his fine filmmaking. He's a good, he's made some good films. Oh, he has, he has. But yeah, I was doing a bit of research this week and he considers 12 a a good effort. (laughs) Including that scene where they all come out of prison and there's the exact same zoom in of everything. (laughs) Whoa. Groundbreaking. All right. Well, I'll stick with my vote for Ocean's 13, but I will not defend Ocean's 12 anymore because it doesn't deserve it. They were both pretty bad. So, all right. Well, you win, Conan. You win this round. We'll, we'll, we'll name Ocean's Twelve the worst. Then, uh, who's to blame for this mess? For me, the blame is because it's a very messy movie. Like you've got Ocean's Eleven, which is it has this style that is so clean. Like the guys always know what they're doing. Every shot doesn't feel wasted. They've got all these these fun, clean shots of of the strip of Vegas of the plan that they're going to perform how it's going to happen they definitely leave surprises there like how they're going to escape at the end and stuff like that but it's a very very clean movie i think 12 just completely like leaves that behind like it's such a messy movie they add a lot of characters that don't really make any sense or don't really live up to their potential i just think it's just a messier busier movie and it's worse for it yeah i think the way it needs to be to deal with the consequences of it, it needs to unfortunately go darker. It needs to be a bit more of like a 
this isn't all the fun and glamour of a heist. This is the fallout of a heist. It, it's so it works fine as a story, but being a movie that is trying to be, you know, like Hollywood blockbuster, it's not. It's a weird genre as well. It's not an action film. It's not a comedy film. It's kind of in between these, so it doesn't have a clear thing to define it by. It's it is entirely relying on its star power and literally hoping that people will just say, "I want to see these these big actors act." And to its testament, it worked. But I think because of that, everyone's safe. Everybody's going to win in the end. And there isn't anything there. So when it tries to say this is the fallout of this event, it feels unearned. And, I, and as a result, they do, they do what I was saying, where they just try to be like, let's just watch these guys because that's what people are here for. They're paying to see actors just sit around. And so if it's in that weird spot. It can't be a great sequel and be a big Hollywood blockbuster like it's trying to be. Yeah. Um, basically, sort of what... You were saying as well, Griner, but I just feel like the writing wasn't as witty or clever as the first one. Sort of what Conan was saying earlier about they try to be witty, but it's not as witty. And they do go very meta with a lot of stuff, which is fun, but it's, yeah, it definitely separates it from Eleven. Most of my notes on who was to blame was about Ocean's 13, so I won't go into it. But I'll, no, I want to hear. I but it's the, same, that, no, it's the same thing. It, it's the same thing. It's the writing. I don't feel like it was clever in 13 and. On another point, 12 is the same. Like, what we were saying before we started recording, these two movies do sort of blend. Like, I can think of Ocean's Eleven and remember that whole movie and how it, like, finished and everything. And then Ocean's 12 and 13, even though I watched them a week ago, is this sort of weird blend of a mess. So, Mm. yeah. I just feel like it wasn't as clever. Definitely not. Um, So, do do you guys have any quick fix to fix... Let's fix the whole trilogy, hey? Since we we agree that twelve and thirteen are both bad, so I I think Conan was onto something. Like the quick fix for this, I would that's actually really intrigued me hearing what he would have done with Ocean's Twelve. Having that guy kill one of them would have been interesting and actually made the stakes feel more real because that was something I said while watching Ocean's Twelve. I was like, so why are they they really worried about this guy? And my wife was just like, well. You know, they said in the first one, like, oh, he will kill you and your family and blah, blah, blah. But we never get that. He's no Gustavo Fring. Like, he doesn't have that aura about him that he'll he'll do anything. Like, it just seems like they could just kick his ass if they wanted to. So, they yeah. Do, they, they do often talk about how menacing he is and how he's, like, once you cross him, he's just going to come after you forever. But, yeah, they don't really show that, do they? And it seems like he... They, he doesn't, though. He's, he's, he does trust them. And so he's like, okay, we'll, we'll work together on this thing. All right, well, give me some interest and it's fine. It's not like he's this, like, you've crossed me and completely ruined my thing. I'll come back and get you for it or anything like that. So It, it is really dumb that they get him back in the third one on their side. And then they cross him again at the end. Yeah. <laughs> that has the best line, though, where... You think this is funny? Well, Terry, it sure as shit ain't sad. As he's walking, George Clooney's walking out, he's like, you think this is funny? He's like, well, it sure as shit ain't sad. <laughs> that is a good line. That's I, also enjoyed line. I also enjoyed Andy Garcia on Oprah. That was, that was pretty funny. All you got to do is look at, at inside a child's eyes, and, and uh, that's all it needs. That's your, all, the, all the motivation that one needs. Actually, that's all in um, Ocean's 13, isn't it? It is. Okay, I changed my mind because the Oprah, <laughs> stuff, the Oprah stuff was great. I really enjoyed the Oprah stuff. All of it, so. I changed my mind. Ocean's 12 sucks. I knew Ocean's you'd come around. Got some real gems in there with Oprah. And yeah, Andy got there at the end on Oprah was the highlight. It was it was hilarious. That, again, I, 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 have to, I have to admit then, watching Happy Days in, in, um, in French or whatever language it is, Italian, in the second one is pretty funny. Guy who plays parts is amazing. That's a pretty good <laughs> yeah, line. That part was kind of funny. <laughs> But again, like, I need to plug this. Ocean's 13 has the great thing where every time they're checking in with Casey Affleck, they're like, what's going on down there? He's, yeah, I'm going to get there. It's just they, they're not paying us. We've got to like, get air conditioner in here. That's funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. And then it cuts back to the other brother and he's just like, just throws the Molotov over. It's great. Yeah. And I love that he goes down there to get him and to get it back on track and he joins in like, no. What is it, like $1,400 for all of them or something like that? Like, yeah, for the whole factory. And they're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> They've been fighting for, for weeks. That's, yeah. that's like Mel Brooks level comedy. That is really funny. Yeah, no, that's funny. So, yeah, so Conan, you gave us the idea earlier about that. So, how do you fix two and three? Right. Can we change the entire tone and genre, or is it staying as an up to the sort of 
fun and it's it's supposed to be a quick fix, but if you if you have a more in depth fix, go for it. You've no, smacked no, we'll do... over the head and replaced him. Yeah. <laughs> all right, quick fix, quick fix. Then all right, oceans. It's not called Oceans Eleven. It's called Ocean Six. We have six big actors and a handful of side characters, maybe, but they're not part of the original crew. Oceans Eleven functions much the same, but then Oceans Twelve, you've got to start off with someone's got to get killed. We've got to see that actual thing, and then you simply do a instead of you kill Julia Roberts because in bad, in bad idea because in the first one she doesn't have that much to do anyway. She is literally a trophy in that film. She only functions for Andy Garcia and George Clooney's conflict. Which and then in number two, I don't see why she'd be with Andy Garcia over George. No, Clooney. it makes zero sense. It doesn't make any sense. Money. Yeah, that is a weird thing where she's like, "I divorced you, but now that you've robbed a bank, I'm into you again." Not a stable, <laughs> not a stable marriage. But so you kill her off. That that invests George Clooney in it entirely. And then in the second one, he's got to go back and re. He's got to re get everybody again. So we've got that fun sort of. He's going around. And he's like, "Rusty, come join me." And he's like, no, I'm hanging out with Topher Grace, who's an actor. And then he goes to, so he, he brings all them back. And there, and then you've got that nice parallel again. You see that you can do different, like, I don't know, maybe all there. And then it gets really good because all of their, you know, they're going straight. All of their, uh, all of their operations are falling apart. Rusty's hotels are all crumbling. Don Cheadle's doing Don Cheadle business. I don't care. Bernie Mac's just not doing well in the gambling thing. They're all having a bad time. So he brings them back in. And then it kind of builds on this thing of like, they're actually love the heist itself. They're criminals for life. That can kind of build more on that, that whole, um, crim- you, you know, like the code of this, like you're, you're a thief. We have a code. We're a family. And it's like, one, these people are in this. They don't really want to get clean. They're not doing one big score for this. And then you can even go down a path of George Clooney's drunk on vengeance. And that's kind of fun where everyone's like, no, this is the heist, man. And then it's like, and George Clooney's like, yeah, you're right. I'm actually in this for the money. It's like, he could put his Batman suit back on. He can with some bat nips. Bat nipples. Well, <laughs> so it takes a darker turn, but I think that makes it tighter. It does change the whole genre and trilogy as a whole. It, but... it doesn't have to be super gritty. Like, it doesn't have to be they're all depressed characters, but it can just be a bit more like the stakes at the beginning are dark, but then it's still a bit more fun of them just sort of their dynamics again. I so... kind of like the idea of these trilogies counting down rather than up. So like you start at, start at 11 or 6 or whatever, and then the next one's 5. And then four, and it's like, who died? Who's going to make it? Right yeah, that's cool, right? <laughs> be a good idea. So I think the two things I would put in there that would help fix it is, yeah, like Conan said, start at a smaller point because the whole fun thing about heist movies is that, like the recruitment process, and they start off with that, and so then the whole trilogy they do just have that group and sort of don't use a bunch of them and you know, focus on more. So it'd be better if each film they added a few more characters to the actual heist group with, oh, this he does this, this is his specialty and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the only other thing I would say is maybe have Topher Grace be the ultimate villain. Like, <laughs> him really vengeful that Brad Pitt is doing all these heists on the side, but then just teaching him how to win these little card games and he realises, like, man, I could have been scoring big if you'd actually been telling me the truth. Rusty, instead of just shoving your face with food. <laughs> Through the, the villain in real life, too, you know? Yeah. Ruined Spider-Man. He is. Probably, yeah. Interstellar. Interstellar as well. I'm with you. Screw you, Topher Grace. He ruined that 70s show as well when he left. Hmm. Show yeah, bad but, after that. There's a lot of people that ruined that show. Good show. Yeah, but there's, uh, some people are not good people. <laughs> no, no, that's true, actually. You're right. <laughs> Wait, You're right. I'm not talking about Ashton Kutcher, because right? he's a national treasure. No, he's all right. It's uh, it's the, the stoner dude. I don't even know the actor's name, but he's not a oh. good man. Ashton Kutcher fights sex slavery. He is actually he does. Yeah, he actually yeah. is a bit of and a hero. The other guys on the other end of that spectrum. Um, oh, so yeah, that's that's our quick fix. It's kind of sad that all our movie discussions come back to someone being a sexual <laughs> deviant in some way or shape or form. Now those really weird. I'm starting to think Hollywood has like this deep seated problem. <laughs> Maybe it's like a history or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, hasn't really reared its head in his Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, I'm sure if you dug deep enough, there's some extra that did something wrong. The pure one. Peter Jackson, <laughs> notorious. Um. <laughs> My only note for quick fix is that we need more more Bernie Mac in our lives. Absolutely, he's just right. underused. He really, yeah. In the third one, especially, he he really does nothing. He's in a handful of scenes. 
And Isn't that the movie where we get... No, no, White Jack is in the first movie. Sorry. That's in the first one. I think he does less than 12, actually. He does 12, not much in both. 12, he gets arrested, and then he's sitting in the cell for most cell of it. For and most of it, yeah. 13, oh, at least right. he sells Al Pacino on that, like, the game and everything. No, so, you're right, yeah. You're, you're right. right. No, he does have a decent knife. Yeah, 12, he does nothing. Yeah. We, we never get that scene again where he's shaking the card, card dealer's hand. That's so good. Just squeezing <laughs> his hand tighter and tighter <laughs> to get that deal. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, well, we've discussed the bad movies. Let's talk about the good one, Ocean's Eleven. I I really like this movie. I really quite love it quite a bit, actually. I think it's one, one of the better heist movies in the last little while. I was waiting for you to ask which one's the best one, and I was going to say Ocean's 8. Took my joke away. <laughs> no, that doesn't count. It's a spin-off. It's not part of the trilogy. And oh, okay. Joke. It's also a bad joke. <laughs> I refer to my earlier definition of a joke. Arguably better than 12. Yeah, that's a... I'd have to re-watch Ocean's 8. But anyway... Um, you know, Ocean's Eleven, really enjoyable to watch it again. Like, there's a reason, obviously, that it's the only one that I really remembered, and I guess I just that's just my brain doing natural things and repressing bad memories. So, it's really enjoyable. I like the heist itself. I think it's clever. I like how they build their own replica of the room, so then they can do that on the security footage, and then to have the sort of like the grift where we don't really know how they're going to escape and we think they've escaped one by end, but it's the opposite. They're the SWAT team there. I think that's a really clever twist where we're the ones getting fooled and it's like, oh, look at that. That's clever. Yeah, really, really enjoyable. And like we said earlier, this cast is great and it's massive and to just watch these megastars just mega starring everywhere, it's it's really enjoyable. And Brad Pitt all over the it wasn't overdone in Ocean's Eleven. It was too much of it in the other two, but it was just right in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, everything's everything's the way it should be. All the actors, you can tell they're trying to get everybody almost like a fair share. Everyone's got a role to play, whereas in the other two, they don't have roles to play necessarily, so they're kind of shoehorning them into these pseudo-heists or grifts or whatever, and so it feels a lot clunkier. But also I think I was surprised re-watching this, how, how like, it, it wastes no time. It literally starts off with George Clooney getting out of prison and then straight away, literally like within 24 hours of him at Adam Parole, he's already recruiting people. Yep. So there's no like fluffing around of like, oh, I've got to sort of, I go back to my home and I, I remember my wife's not here. And what do I do? There's none of that. It's literally just, he's a criminal. So he's, he's out and he's doing it. And all we see from the moment the film starts is the heist preparation and then the execution. So it is, it's a super tight heist film because there's no, there's no fluff in it. And you're right, the, the best thing about it is a heist movie should keep the audience in the dark as well, so we think we always know how the game's being played, and it does a really good job of that. Of You're always like, yeah, this is going to go one way, and it keeps it keeps sort of flipping it, and that's a lot of fun. Sleight of hand. Mm. I, think that, I think part of that, though, is what makes sequels not work so well, because there's so many times in Ocean's Eleven where we think, oh, the, the heist has failed, or they're not going to make it, but it was part of their plan the whole time. And if every conflict is just part of their plan the whole time, it makes for movies that have no conflict, right? It works okay once, but I don't think you get to do it again. For sure. Yeah. And, thing, and I think the only gripe I had with Ocean's Eleven is if I, I don't think those parole people should have let George Clooney out. That interview with him would not have sold me that he's not going to go commit crime again. <laughs> he was super shifty. And his little smirks, I would have been like, um, you're staying here for a bit. I don't, I don't fully trust you, you. You've never been in the same room as George Clooney. I think that man has you're a right. presence. You could probably sell me. A I don't know. That goatee and that slick back hair screams drug dealer. Like, if someone comes up to you and is like, yeah, I'm clean. I'm like, no, no, no. You're part of the Aryan Brotherhood, all right? I know your game. I really love, um, I really love Rust, particularly this movie, Rusty and Danny. Like, they're... They're just rapport with each other and how they, they're not even finishing each other's sentences. They're only speaking half the sentence and the other one knows what they're talking about. There's, I really enjoy that scene in the bar where... Saul makes 10. 10 ought to do it, don't you think? You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. And it's just, it's, it's just Danny monologuing basically while while Rusty eats and watches TV. Yeah. But I just, I just think that's it's a really good view of their relationship, and I really enjoyed that. And yeah. and just those actors vibing off each other, like they sell it perfectly, sort of thing. And they it's do. similar. I really enjoy when they go to get Ruben's help in Ocean's yep. Eleven, 
and they're just yep. they play him like a fiddle and they're both walking away and <laughs> you're right he's right reuben you're right our eyes were bigger than our stomachs that's exactly what it is pure ego yeah 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 blah 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 thank you for lunch you swap was delicious sorry we bothered you look we all go way back and uh i owe you from the thing with the guy in the place and i'll never forget it that was our pleasure yeah, never... talking to each other they're not even talking to reuben and he's just in the back and like hold up hold up no 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 it's it's good yeah yeah, you definitely feel like they are old friends, and it's it is really nice to just see this this group interact in that. And it's because they've got that really common goal of like we're all we all know why we're here. And some of the dynamic from the is a bit awkward as well. Like the um the brothers, they're sort of standoffish to some, and you know um Saul's kind of like a mentor almost. He's like your kids don't you know you they're all sort of like coming up with different levels of experience. Yeah. Whereas in 12 and 13, they're trying to be like, we're a big criminal family and it just doesn't quite feel as fun as like, because it doesn't have that con- that dynamic of every scene has a bit of conflict where char- all these characters don't quite know if they can trust one another and they're sort of trying to figure out what to do in this in this spot. Yeah, and you've got you've got like um, Matt Damon tailing, tailing Danny Ocean or like finding out about his wife and Rusty being like, I told him to do it. Like there's, yeah, there's a lot of, Lot of fun bits there where they yeah they're not quite 100 percent trusting each other and they know there's some ulterior motives there in places yeah it's good, good yeah i um i will say i think the scene that has the most stakes in any of these movies is i legit was started sweating watching amazing yen almost get blown up when he had his arm stuck in the yeah <laughs> it was a good scene. pushing the button because the battery's not in it <laughs> that's that's high that's high high drama there yeah, yeah all right. Funny. Don Don Cheadle's accent. How do we feel? Hold on to your knickers, lads. <laughs> Look, besides the terrible thing of anyone with an accent doing like that, that accent's um, jargon, like that. Hold on to your knickers, lads. No one says that. But it's like, how Cockney can we make this Cockney? Mm. That's annoying. But that's more of a writing issue. I don't mind it. It's it's really kind of it's kind of dumb, but I think it's meant to be. Yeah. It's- it's really out of place when I first start watching it because I'm like, that's not how War Machine talks. But by the end of it, I got used to it. So, yeah, but it, it's very, um, it's very on the nose. I don't think anyone's buying it. No, I don't. I think you're right. Yeah, but Don Cheadle's a good like actor. He's he's um does a really good, does a really convincing accent in Hotel Rwanda. So I think he, it's almost like it's kind of like Jeremy Irons in Die Hard with a Vengeance, where. I think part of the thing is that he's intentionally putting on that accent to make you think he's worse at it than he actually is. And that is part of the character that he's like, it's almost acting this front. That's my theory at least. Well, so you feel like his character isn't Cockney? Quite and... possibly not. Could be some brain damage from all the explosions or something. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least, he's like, I'm going to overact this to lit- to just sell to be like, I'm, I'm trying hard for fun. Yeah. I mean, Don Cheadle could do a very convincing Cockney accent if he wanted to. That's all I'm saying. I'm sure. How do you guys feel about the moral grey area of supporting bank bank robbers, of them being the heroes in these movies, of these people who are doing something illegal, immoral? They're probably not good people in real life. Can we really support these movies? I can't stand <laughs> bank robbers. They are the bane of my existence. <laughs> but oh, I catch who, a new one every week. But who doesn't enjoy a good heist movie? I don't know. They're lovable flawed characters so it's i don't think it's it's sort of i don't know it gets into that whole dynamic of robin hood where it's stealing from the rich and giving to the poor but not really giving to the poor it's just giving to the less rich sort of thing like they're stealing (laughs) (laughs) criminals and all that so i think they try and avoid that whole morally gray area by like no but this guy's really bad and we're just they always give some some just very convenient justification for why it's okay like Honestly, it'd be interesting for them to do this heist film and have like a casino owner be this really good guy who gives all this t- his time to charity and all of the money <laughs> going to charity, and they steal it because they're just a bunch of thieves. That'd they should be, be they should be robbing like a Native American casino on a reservation, and there's like there's no security there. They don't need this money and just absolutely ruin a whole nation. That'd be um that'd, that'd be, be the dark sequel. Like, they make it very clear where it's like this is Las Vegas, this is Sin City this is a place where the house always wins. And like that line comes up all the time where it's like, it does, yeah. everyone knows that casinos are rigged. Everyone knows that casinos are literally there to make, you know, the owners very rich and then 1% of the people going in rich and 99% just lose all their money. So I don't think there's any gray area about it. If a casino getting robbed is bad, it's like, yeah. So jumping ship here, just to go back to Oceans 13 for a second, I will say 
I completely forgot about it. I did really enjoy um, the the hotel reviewer, his whole thing of <laughs> yeah, just constantly, just constantly having like the worst stuff happen to him, and um, like Casey Affleck, like the brothers at his door, just like yelling at him, like "Get out now! Get out now! Get out now! You got ten minutes! You got ten minutes!" And he's like broken out in hives because they've messed with his thing. His room yeah. smells bad. The um, Al Pacino's a jerk to him. It's just. It's great, and I thought that was really funny. And then Rusty helps him at the end by rigging that machine. I, I, I was feeling very sorry for him until they rigged that machine, so he could get a bit of money. <laughs> so I did enjoy that in Ocean's Thirteen. Another point for that movie. Good point. I also want to note that I feel like if I was at an airport and some guy like went on a slot machine and won a million dollars, no one would be cheering over. It'd be like really pissy. I'd be like, I wish I was a millionaire now. If it was in America, they would have shot him and taken it. <laughs> well, this is in America. I got question about those machines because in movies there's always just a bunch of coins that fall on the floor is that how those machines really work surely not i th- oh i yeah, really I wouldn't want to win a million dollars in coins because that would suck <laughs> like i mean the, the first one that they show it the coins come from above her like surely yeah, that's how hs has it right like <laughs> just wipes them all out <laughs> unless, unless it's like those coins are worthless and it's literally i think it like, is yeah, it's just the millions that you've won. Yeah, and somebody obviously the security would be like, "Oh, she just won the jackpot. Come with us to the secure room, and we'll cut you a check or something." It's for, it's for show. It's like, hey, look, we'll shower you with money. Because if it was actually coins, that would hurt a lot. <laughs> so. Actually, point to Ocean's Eleven. Those scenes are great where he's like, "You can't rob a casino," and he's like, "Someone did it in the fifties, and he's just running along, <laughs> gets hit. Someone did it in the seventies, just gets like whacked in the face with the baton." This guy actually tasted fresh oxygen before but, they grabbed him. And That's then cool. the, none of those plans seemed very well thought out. I don't know how they were going to get away with it just running with that. Guy. I also want to know: is it is it legal for casinos to just shoot you if you steal? Like, surely you could be like, we have security cameras or tasers flying. They just mow that guy down in the street. And like, yeah, they really do. I don't know. Again, not to sound too, like, thing, but it's America. <laughs> there is rules where you can just sort of just shoot people if they wrong you or they're on your property or they've... That is not an understanding of American law, but sure. Let's go with that. Not following no, the no, none of us are lawyers. I specialize does in anyone, law. Does anyone else have any holes they want to pick with these movies before we move on? I got, a, I got the most important question here. How do we feel about uh, Brad Pitt's hair in the first one? Oh, so bad. It's so really, bad. but it's really bad. But he pulls it off somehow. But when you just focus on just the hair and block out his face, it's such a bad hairstyle. And I think it's so representative of early two thousands of like the the, the blonde frosted tips. the frosted tips, but just gelled down where it's just all flattened out like hat hair. It's really bad. Only a but few people can rock it. Maybe Conan but and Brad Pitt. They're basically the only two. I've gone through a few I must Brad say, Pitt I did have that haircut in in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> and when you saw the movie, you're like, he's just like me. Exactly. <laughs> but did none of you, like, get into... I mean, I'm a little bit older than you guys, but oh, there's, no, definitely, I... there's definitely a member of the band Five that had that hair as well at that time. I, and Five was my childhood. I had frosted tips when I was a te- like young exactly. teen. So so did both of my brothers. They both went through that phase. But it's not just the frosted tips. It's also the weird length where it's almost like the... It's kind of like a weird mullet where it's long at the front spiked forward, but then it's also long at the back spiked down, but then it's short on the sides. So it's not actually a short back and sides. It's not like a conventional short haircut. It's long at the back still, which was, again, big in like... It was sort of this weird thing in the early aughts. And it's just so bad. I'm like, that's... If you let that grow for a few more weeks, that turns into a really terrible mullet. It's definitely an improvement in Ocean's 12 when he shaves it. it. Yeah. And then in Ocean's 13, he's got a bit more of just an okay short hairstyle. So they salvage it. I I enjoy that scene, the start of Ocean's 12, where she's like describing him perfectly and he's in the bathroom. And she's like, what hair conditioner he uses, if he's got dye in his hair and this, and he's like freaking out and jumps out the window. One down left boot. I thought that was fun the only good scene it made him shave his head so thank god for that true it's also kind of funny how Trump Tower was in the first one it's got a nice little drawn out moment where it shows it out <laughs> hasn't aged well I mean that there's a lot of movies that feature Trump or his towers <laughs> his many towers shout out to Home Alone too. and Borat 
All right, boys. Yeah. I think it's time to that move one's, on. That one's apt, Lo. That one's apt. <laughs> let's, close the, let's close the book on oceans. Uh, Conan, what are we moving on to next week? All right. I think if this podcast has shown me one thing, it's that there is a severe lack of art house in the trilogy scene. And so we're going to slow things down. We're going to cool things off. We're going to light some candles. We're going to cry. We're going to make some dinner. And we're going to really question what love is and who we are. With the before trilogy, that is before sunrise, before sunset, and before midnight, Richard Linklater's probably best films, best capturing of time. Thank you all for joining us on The Good, The Bad, and The Worst. Find us on socials. Make sure you rate us on iTunes and subscribe. And uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>